Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at Fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org ah sweet november uh for many of us out there myself included this is absolutely my favorite time of year uh to be outdoors uh kind of regardless of the animal that you're chasing so wherever you're listening from, I sincerely hope that you guys are uh, able to spend some time outdoors. Uh, welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jared Lutschka, and Jared is the owner of 2% Certified Big Game Waterfowl. And Big Game Waterfowl is a duck hunting or a waterfowl guide service out of Rhode Island. Uh, and this was cool because I... <clears throat> We you, you'll hear more about it in the episode, but Jared and I get to talk, and I grew up doing waterfowl hunting, uh, but it's been a long time since I've done it. Um, so this is a good opportunity for me to really kind of pick Jared's brain a little bit, find out kind of uh, you know how he's running the operation, uh, what it's like hunting some big water there in Rhode Island, uh, you know really how Rhode Island has kind of become um, I, I don't know if destination is the right word, but it, it gives hunters the opportunity uh, to shoot a lot of different um, species of, of waterfowl uh, for people chasing uh, their <clears throat> uh, the 41 species. Uh, they definitely have um, you know some other options or some uh, other opportunities there uh, that maybe they don't in other places. Um, we really get into you know Jared's uh, upbringing uh, in the Boy Scouts and how that kind of shaped him uh, and his perspective on the outdoors. Uh, and how he's he's able to balance, uh, you know, being a full-time guide during the season and a firefighter as well. Uh, really cool, <clears throat> really cool story. Um, 
Jared is, uh, you can tell he's one of those salt of the earth type guys. And uh, this was a conversation that I, I absolutely enjoyed. And, and actually, when we got done talking, I was telling Jared that now, after speaking to him for a little while, I got to figure out a chance to uh, get out to Rhode Island and, and do some waterfowl hunting as well. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, waterfowl is not something that uh, we've really had a chance to talk about with anyone on the podcast. So um, I think you guys will like this. I know I was excited about the conversation as well. So episode 76, Jared Lechka, Big Game Waterfowl. Uh, enjoy. Before that, though, I want to take a minute to tell you about our friends over at Stone Glacier. Uh, if you guys have not already, shame on you, but you should absolutely download the Stone Glacier app. Uh, stay up to date with everything that Stone Glacier has going on. Uh, they just dropped a new film uh, that you can see on the app called Mountain Buck. A uh, super cool film that they put together. Uh, and getting into uh, November here and for a lot of people, uh, mid to late season, um, definitely be sure to check out some of their uh, down outerwear that they have to stay warm, whether you're sitting in a blind, whether you're doing some spot and stalk hunting out west, uh, whatever the case is, uh, Stone Glacier is going to have what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, not only the outerwear, uh, but also <clears throat> you got a late season trip coming up, you want a new pack, uh, definitely be sure to check them out as well. So head over to StoneGlacier.com. All right, joining me today, I have the owner of 2% Certified Big Game Waterfowl, Jared Luchka. Jared, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I know this has got to be a, a pretty busy time of year for you, so uh, I appreciate the time today. Yep, absolutely. So, <clears throat> Jared, I kind of want to go all the way back and kind of really get a better understanding of, you know, kind of your past and everything like that in terms of the outdoors. So, I guess first off, um, you guys are located in Rhode Island, correct? That's correct. So, are you uh, originally from there, uh, or since located, or, or what? You know, whereabouts are you from originally? Uh, yep, no, I was born and raised here. Um, I was uh, grew up in Situate. I live in uh, Gloucester now, and uh, yeah, I've been here my my whole life, and no desire to go anywhere else really. <laughs> So how was it that you were introduced to the outdoors in the Northeast there? Um, so basically it uh, kind of came through scouts. Um, I've been a Boy Scouts uh, my whole childhood um, and into my adult life. And uh, that was kind of like what got me exposed to the outdoors and and uh, just kind of getting out there and Seeing all the different stuff, the the fishing was really big, um, shooting sports, and uh, then it kind of developed into more of the hunting stuff later on. So what are the hunting traditions like there, I guess, kind of in the Northeast? I mean, I'm, I'm in Michigan here. I'm in the Midwest. So it's a, there's kind of this deep-rooted tradition, uh, especially like this time of year uh, with deer hunting. Um, and I guess every you know family is a little bit different in terms of maybe what um you know sport or what uh you know what species they like to hunt whether it's you know upland waterfowl of you know big game whatever the case is uh but you know here in the midwest it's obviously a lot of a lot of whitetail with deer camp and just the you know that that tradition that's kind of passed down from generation to generation so what is it like in the northeast because i don't really know uh a whole lot it's kind of the one area of the country that i've never been to yeah so um like i said it kind of got exposed to the outdoors through scouts and the shooting sports and then it kind of matured into whitetail hunting that's like the big thing here um and that was pretty much you know your uh 
your tree stand up in the woods and you go do that. And then as far as like some of the traditions that we had here, at least for myself is uh, on Sundays we would do deer drives during muzzleloader season. So we'd send out some guys to the corner of the property and they would, they would drive deer um, to the guys sitting in the tree stands and stuff. Um, so that was pretty much my exposure, like into hunting uh, as far as, that goes when I was younger. Yeah, I've had a few guests on in the past that have talked about like deer drives. Um, now, is that still something that, that that has kind of been passed on, or is that something that you guys don't do much of anymore with the deer drives? I uh, really haven't done that much since since I was a kid. It was like everyone um, kind of got older and busier, and um, you know, family friends had different stuff going on, so we kind of got out of it. And uh, the deer hunting for me became more of like a a solo thing um, where, you know, it was just like go out on my own and, and, you know, go hunt for whitetail. Yeah. So how is the deer hunting uh, up there? Because yeah, like I, like I mentioned just a minute ago there, I really know nothing about kind of the outdoors other than I know, especially this time of year, the Northeast is just, you know, is beautiful, but you know, what is the, the hunting scene like for, you know, like whitetails? Uh, for Rhode Island, I, I really like it. Um, the state has done a lot of good stuff, especially in the last few years. Um, for the zones, the zone that I'm in, uh, you can basically hunt whitetail with a bow from the beginning of October all the way to the end of January. So it's a super long season, which is great. Um, they, uh, you know, they're pretty generous with the tags. Um, and, uh, they have the muzzleloader season, shotgun season. We can't hunt with a rifle in Rhode Island. That's the one one thing we can't do just because of uh, the population density. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I understand that. There's Michigan is kind of broken up uh, in zones where we have, uh, I guess, technically, I think they call it like the shotgun zone, which is like the lower half of the lower peninsula. Uh, and then, you know, anything above that, you can use um, a rifle uh, during gun season, but we have, uh, a gun season or I guess a rifle season. Then we have a muzzleloader season and then we have our late, um, our late season, which, uh, is typically archery. Although in certain zones, um, I believe it's this year, they just changed the rule this year from last year is that you can harvest, um, a doe with any type of firearm, I think all the way through the end of December, which is new this year. And I'm not sure if that is because there's been, um, you know, quite a few uh, zones and counties that have uh, encountered CWD uh, here in Michigan over the past uh, four or five years, and they're just trying to, um, you know, control that as best as possible or what the case is. Right, right. Now, do you guys get a lot of, have you guys had any issues like that with CWD up there? Uh, not to my knowledge. Um the whitetail hunting is pretty popular, so I, I feel like they're being controlled. Uh, we're not allowed to, to bait deer at all. Yeah, same which here. Which helps. Yeah. Um, so it's all, I think stuff gets moved around enough, and the hunting is pretty pretty consistent where we haven't had that much of an issue. Um, I'm sure eventually we're going to start brushing up with it, but to the best of my knowledge from what I've heard, uh, there hasn't been much of an issue with it yet. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly a good thing. So, <clears throat> Jared, tell me about uh, your company, Big Game Waterfall. 
when you started it, you know, what made you decide to start it, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, like I had mentioned, we, I got into hunting basically with deer hunting and did that pretty much, you know, childhood up into my adult life. And, uh, it wasn't until, um, I had a, met a friend in, uh, the academy I went to and, uh, one day he called up and asked if I had a hunting license and a shotgun. And, uh, so basically, um, went out duck hunting completely self-taught uh there was definitely some funny learning curves um <laughs> but uh yeah started getting into duck hunting in my early 20s um and like i said self-taught just kind of learned the area really got into it uh with a bunch of other friends and uh from there um i started getting into um commercial fishing and uh, a buddy of mine asked if I wanted to go get my captain's license and start working on charter boats. So did that. And uh, since I had my, my license, I thought I was like, I go duck hunting enough and um, try get getting other people out there. It was not a lot of people do waterfowl hunting around here. And, uh, I almost thought it was like, you know, if I could help like get people out, and expose them to it, you know, it would be uh, better for the sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anytime you can get uh, new people involved, especially, especially, you know, if you're already, you know, hunting um, to, to kind of make the, the transition or to, uh, I guess, pick up a, <laughs> um, a new animal to hunt. I mean, there's already you know, a certain uh, amount of familiarity with, you know, firearms, you know, kind of woodsmanship, uh, that type of stuff that, you know, you can translate that fairly well um, to, you know, like waterfowl hunting as opposed to deer hunting. But what is it like waterfowl hunting up there? Because uh, Jared Frazier, who had, you know, made the introduction for us, said that, uh, you know, waterfowl hunting uh, in Rhode Island is kind of unique. So, you know, walk me through that. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I feel like the Rhode Island area is kind of uh, like a well-kept secret, um, almost to a fault, because we have Narragansett Bay, which the duck hunting in Rhode Island, like we have a lot of waterfront. Um, and the state has done a good job where they pushed our season back. Uh, and it's basically the, the later part of our season runs from um, the end of November to the end of January. So when you get that, cold weather and everything starts freezing all those birds move into the salt and brackish areas and there's just a ton of habitat and space um where you can spread out and we get like a huge variety of birds around here like early season we'll we'll get some wood ducks and teal um all the way through um later on like we get sea ducks we get the eiders scoters um all the way to like golden eye mergansers um i've got a redhead before and it's just like a huge variety of uh different species that come through so now when i think of so i i did some waterfowl hunting when i was young i mean that was like uh between upland hunting and waterfowl hunting i mean that was kind of my introduction to, to hunting in general in the outdoors um mm -hmm. And the way we waterfowl hunted here in Michigan, and you're going to have to, I, I'm kind of curious to see, to know what the differences are, but we were setting up, um, either maybe on small ponds, uh, you know, lakes, uh, maybe some, 
uh, flooded woods or, or, you know, cut cornfield or flooded cornfields, you know, something uh, kind of along those in the timber uh, and things like that. So what is it like? I mean, what does it kind of a typical setup look like uh, for waterfall hunting out there? Yeah, so um, like our early season would, we have like a lot of rivers um, that run through. So it would basically be like, you know, often a little slough, um, whether you're in a, a pop-up blind or something that you made earlier uh, with like a smaller spread out with some wood ducks and some mallards and whatnot. And then for myself, anyway, as it progresses later into the season, um, move into the bay with like some bigger spreads um, where like we'll put out 50 or 60 decoys um, in front of the boat. The, the boat that uh, we have is a 21 foot TDBC class and um, it has its own blind on it and we have power poles. So basically I'll, we'll go out, we'll put out these big spreads and uh, kind of nestle up into rocks um, or on the shoreline there. And uh, that, that's kind of how we do it. Okay, because I feel like I've seen something, uh, social media, the internet, one of those places, um, where, you know, almost like hunting from the boat, almost like out in, in kind of the middle of the water. I mean, is that, is that a thing or am I just talking crazy? Yeah, so there's, um, a lot of guys will use layout boats as well. Um, and that's something that I've done before, but as far as the business aspect, we hunt everything right from uh the boat that we're in um it's a little safer the platform is really stable which is good um you can be comfortable the the boat has heat uh the floor is actually heated to 150 degrees oh wow and uh yeah and we have a um 4000 BTU force tire heater as well uh with a generator so you guys are living um, the life in that boat yeah it's uh <laughs> <the> thing- <laughs> It gets pretty cold. Um, the winds can get pretty nasty, and just having the ability to uh, get your hands warm and dry can can kind of save your day. Um, yeah, no, that's that's pain. the absolute truth. Uh, yeah, for me, when I'm out hunting, it feels like if my hands or my feet get cold, like it's it's game over. It's just at that point, it just becomes how much longer can I tough it out? Right? There's no kind of coming yeah. back for me once you get to that point. Right, right. And, uh, like, we we take kids out a lot, too. Um, and it's, you know, you can be as prepared as possible, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the gloves don't fit right or um, or they just, like, forgot a layer or something like that. So just being able to, like I said, just get warm and dry is, uh, is kind of a big thing. Yeah, which I may have told the story on the, uh, on the podcast at, at one point before. But I'm going to tell it again anyway. Uh, one of my first, um, there's parts of Michigan here where they do like draws um, for specific areas um, to uh, to duck hunt. So I was uh, probably 13, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe 14 years old. And it was like my dad had done this every year. Um, and he finally, I was kind of to the age and I guess maybe mature enough where he was like, yeah, I want to bring you along. Uh, another one of his buddies had a son my age as well. Him and I were really good friends as well. So we both went, it was kind of a father son type trip. And we, uh, the first night there, we got a good draw and, you know, we're set up in this like, uh, you know, flooded timber. Um, and 
it, things are starting. It's you know it's starting to get late in the evening, and and things are starting to get uh, pick up, and there's a lot more activity. Birds are starting to kind of filter in and whatnot. And all the while, you know, I'm telling my dad, I'm like, Dad, I'm freezing. I'm so cold. You know, and this was, gosh, I can't even remember the time of year, you know, probably around this time of year. And yep. he was like, you know, you just, you got to tough it up. You know, you got to toughen up. You got to figure it out. Like, we're not, yeah. we're not leaving kind of thing, right? Like, we're already back right. in here. It's not like I could turn around and walk 10 minutes to the truck. And yep. uh, so I'm like, Dad, it's just, you know, it feels like there's water in my waders. And he's like, no, your feet are just that cold. He's like, I promise you, you'll be fine. Okay. Uh, so hunt, finish the hunt up, get back to the truck. As we're like getting changed, I take my waders off and I dump like three inches of water actually out of my oh, waders yeah. and they had dry <laughs> rotted um, because I hadn't worn them or they were like a pair of my dad's old ones or something, something along those lines. And it was, I was miserable. Right. So he was like, okay, so, you know, maybe you were as cold as you said. So the next day we get a draw, very similar. Um, and me and my buddy are, are kind of getting bored out there. It's been pretty slow. And it was kind of the same, same time of day where things are starting to pick up. Ducks are starting to roll in. And I think him and I were maybe moving positions um, to kind of get set up better. And he trips, on, you know, because it's a, you know like flooded timber on like a stump, fills up his waders. And at that point, like the hunt was done. So I don't think my my dad never took me on that hunt ever again. I think he had like (laughs) had enough, but to, to be able to, I guess, sit in a boat with a heated floor and, you know, a big heater to keep people comfortable. I mean, that's, that's just going to make the experience all that much more enjoyable. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, especially when you have people like I, I have a few, few groups coming out from all around the country um to try to get their you know they're doing that 41 species they want to try to get their eider and everything <clears throat> and if we're out there kind of grinding away for the whole day um the ability to not have to run back in is is really big um so that, that's the other thing too with the generator we can boil water you can do quick meals or whatever um and it's just it's just one of those creature comforts that kind of goes a long way yeah yeah no absolutely so with, uh, you kind of just alluded to it or touched on it there. I mean, is that, is kind of the Northeast or, or maybe Rhode Island, uh, maybe more specifically, is that like a pretty popular area for people to now kind of want to come and waterfowl hunt because of, you know, trying to get, you know, the 41 species? Um, well, I'm certainly trying to make it that way. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like everyone you talk to thinks, you know, the only place you can get your eiders and scoters and stuff is like you know, up in Maine or out on the Cape. Um, and there's a, there's a good number of guide services in those areas. Um, but the thing that I kind of learned from talking to people is a lot of those trips, and again, this is just from what I've heard, uh, they have trouble getting them off because of the weather. And because uh, the, these birds, they're, they like to be on the muscle beds. They like to be in, in big water. So you get, you know, 20 knot winds out there and, you're going to get beat up pretty bad. Uh, the yeah. thing about Narragansett Bay is there's so many places where you can, you can just tuck in and hide. Um, I, I did a trip two years ago where there was gusts of 70 miles an hour. And aside from like a little bit of a spicy ride, you know, for about five minutes, as soon as you can tuck in the right spot, you can get some really good duck hunting. Um, 
and the boat handles really well. Um, you know, everyone's pretty good and wet by the time we get there, but the hunting's usually so good, you don't need to spend the whole day. Yeah, and especially if you can, you know, if you get there and you're already wet and cold, I mean, if you've got the heaters going, you can dry off, which certainly kind of puts you in a better spot once they start yep. rolling in. So how, how, how many years ago, actually, Jared, did you start um, the guide service? So I, professionally, this is actually only uh, going to be my third season. Um, it had kind of developed, uh, kind of like a lot of uh, my friends with the charters, uh, fishing charters, is they were just taking their, their friends out and family members and friends of friends out. You know, we were doing it for such a long time. And then um, it came to the point where it was, you know, that, that was fun and great. Um, but uh, I wanted to upgrade the boat. And basically my thought was, well, if I can make a little money just to, even if I'm just paying for the boat, which is kind of my goal, um, then I can get a pretty sweet duck boat to use for myself. And like I had mentioned before, get, get other people out there, uh, get other people exposed to the sport and in this area, which is kind of, you know, falling through the cracks in some ways, I think with the, the number of species we have. Um, so, and then my other thing too, was like to, when I started the business aspect, I wanted to make sure there was some roots in conservation as well. Um, and that was, you know, to be able to give back because I, you know, I had thought when I was doing this, like I've had all these years hunting and when you stop and think about like, what have I actually done to give back to the hunting community and to the environment and all this other stuff, you know, if you stop and think about it, sometimes it's a little bit of a hard truth, but I hadn't really done much. So my thought is if I can get the business going and use that as a platform um, for conservation, that would be kind of a win-win for me anyway. Yeah. And that's certainly, uh, you know, I, I certainly commend you for, you know, kind of looking yourself in the mirror and facing that hard truth because I, I have certainly been in that same position as well. I think there's a lot of us out there uh, that have been in that same position that have come to kind of that same realization that you did. Um, and I think that's, that's the great thing about, you know, all types of hunting and, and conservation efforts is, you know, it's going to look different to everyone, how they go about, um, you know, giving back time or dollars or some combination of the two is going to be different for everyone. And, you know, whatever vehicle I guess you use to, to get there doesn't really matter as long as you get there. Right. 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 So how many trips uh, a year, I guess, are you doing? Uh, so I'm usually, I try to keep it like around 20, and that's a little selfish. Um, this isn't my full-time gig. I, I have a regular job. Um, so between, you know, getting the time off to do the trips and also try to keep some days open for myself and, and my friends, um, it's uh, a little bit of a delicate balance, but right now for this coming season, I think we have close to f almost 30 trips on the books right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it uh, it kind of filled up quick, and the the reason why is like a lot of it's uh, repeat customers this year, which is kind of refreshing, um, and, uh, you know, some new people and some referrals. Um, 
And then uh, another surprising thing, too, is uh, we donated a trip to uh, Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. And the folks coming out with us this year, they, they booked additional days on top of the, the day that I donated um, for their auction. So, um, which is which is great. I It's tough, you know, to have people book like two, three, four days for a trip. But it's also really good because if you have a rough day, you know, you, you have some more opportunities. You can have some different chances at weather and, you know, try for different species and stuff. So I'm, usually the multi-day trips work out really well. Yeah, I was going to say, is that is that fairly common? I mean, uh, when people are booking, are they booking, you know, uh, like single-day hunts? I guess I, a lot of that, I would imagine, probably depends on the uh, geographical location of where they're coming from, right? If it's, you know, if they're only an hour or two away, they can probably just do a day trip. But if they're coming for, you know, a full day's drive or something, they're probably going to want to make it worth their while. Yeah. So there's, uh, I, I kind of very crudely put it into three different categories. You have the, the guys that come out, they want to do just a one day trip. They hunt, they understand that, you know, not every single trip is going to be your, you know, knock down drag out thing but they're going for the experience you know they get their buddies together they stay for a night or two um kind of like you know a hunting camp more or less but a little bit more refined kind of and uh so you get that group and those guys it seems like they come back year after year so they do their one day and it's kind of their thing then there's the group uh that really wants a good trip and they understand that you know if you're going to do it you know, pick like two, three, four days even. Um, you know, if you're like, I want to do this trip, I want to do it once, and hopefully it's good. So you get those guys. And then uh, there's the group of people that have called, and they the first question is, what birds can you guarantee me getting? <laughs> and I get more calls about that than I would care to admit. And it's really difficult sometimes. They're like, well, and their thing is, well, we're paying you a lot of money. You know, we need a guarantee. It's like, I understand that. But if you've been hunting for any amount of time, you'd understand that nothing's a guarantee with hunting or fishing. Yeah, that's like, and, the, uh, that's like the most unwritten, most known rule of the outdoors is that's why it's called yeah. hunting, right? Not getting. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting birds today, right? Like, come on, man. Yeah, like with the fish, it's like that's why we call it fishing, not catching. It's, yeah, you know, one day is great, and the other one, you know, just isn't. And uh, it's tough. I, I try to keep a level head and explain. Um, I, I had a call last week, and I told him I was like I had gone out that morning. It was the Rhode Island short season early opener, and I got skunked. It's like, you know, some days just aren't good. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it, it's kind of tough, and I try to keep a level head, but uh, more times than not, the the groups of people that we we get out are really awesome, and uh, you end up kind of making lasting relationships with them too, which is which has been really nice. Yeah, that's that's one of the cool things um, about the outdoors, especially you know, like from a guide's perspective. I mean, while I've never done any type of guiding. Uh, I've certainly uh, been with guides uh, in various, uh, actually all through through fishing, uh, I guess, uh, whether like mm-hmm. charter salmon fishing uh, out west. I've I've went with uh, a guide fly fishing a few times, and 
I mean, that's a, it's a really, you're almost like compressing, right? Like five years worth of a friendship into like, you know, eight to 10 hours just because, right. you know, there's this, especially like fishing where, you know, you don't have to be quiet. You can pay attention. You can, you know, carry on a conversation this whole time and, and you really get to know someone, especially if, you know, they're coming back year after year. Um, and that's, right. that's, what's really cool about the outdoors is kind of that bonding experience that it gives all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to be honest. Um, I had done the charter fishing for a while and you get, it's strange because you get people that are like, oh, I've never done this before. So they'll go try it. And you get people that get violently seasick that they didn't think would happen. <laughs> and you get people that are holding the rod and reel upside down. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's with the duck hunting, almost all the time, these people have done it before. They get it there's not you're not really you'll get the guy that's like oh we go all the time and you know it's it's like you loaded your gun wrong um but (laughs) you you do get that um but it's all like common interest stuff you know and it's like you said you're cramming you know what what five years of a relationship into a day and by the end of it usually uh you know at the end of the hunts a lot of times the um the guests I take out, they're like, hey, where can we go get food? Why don't you come with us? Why a beer? And uh, it's fantastic. It's been, like, really rewarding in that sense, too. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, um, so as as the guide, as the captain of the boat, I mean, do you have uh, anyone else working with you? Or is it, you know, uh, where you can kind of, you can do all the calling yourself? I don't know if, you know, any of the guests are, are doing any of the calling, if they're bringing dogs, if you're just using your dog. I mean, how does that work? Um, so basically the setup that I have is, uh, I don't have a dog, um, with my other job, uh, the schedule is just too, too hectic. Um, like I, I go to work for sometimes 96 hours straight. So it's, uh, it can Can, get to be a lot. Can I ask what you do, what your, your day job is? Yeah. I'm a a firefighter. Oh, well, thank you for your service. Oh, appreciate that. Yeah. So no, I, I, that makes total sense now why you would potentially be at work for that long in one consecutive period. Yeah. Sometimes it's voluntary. Sometimes it's not. Um, but, uh, it's kind of tough. So that's why I like the setup that we have with the boat is really with, uh, we have some, uh, Minn Kota power poles and that's been a game changer because we can just go set up, fire the poles in, and then to retrieve birds, press a button, poles come up, zip out, grab the bird right back. Okay. And, uh, it works out really nice. Um, but now but, uh, are, are, now are you doing all the calling or can like some of your guests, if I guess if maybe you've had enough experience that you can rely that they're actually, um, uh, what's what I'm, uh, they're, they're actually good callers or they're, you know, knowledgeable enough to know how to call or do you just kind of take care of all that yourself? Yeah. So, um, basically what I, what I tell everyone is the boat is theirs for the day. Um, if they, I encourage guys to bring dogs if they have them. Um, if they're comfortable, uh, calling on their own, even if they're bad and they think they're good, but they want to call, that's totally fine. Um, but usually if guys are like, Oh, we'll call like, uh, we'll do that with the sea ducks. It's, it's pretty easy because there's not like a lot of calling or anything like that. Um, but if we get into like the puddle ducks and like the black ducks, mallards and stuff like that, 
Um, so, so it's kind of 50, 50 alcohol or, or they will. Um, and I also ask them at the beginning of every trip as well, you know, are you guys, do you want to call your own shots? Do you want me to call them for you? Um, are you guys good with bird ID? And, uh, usually everyone's pretty straightforward and they're never really been an issue. Um, especially like going for a new species. So, you know, you get guys coming from out west city west used to, uh, canvas backs and redheads. And now they're going for eiders and scoters. They're like, yeah, we definitely want you calling, you know, when to take the shot for, for what's legal, what's not. Um, yeah. And that's one of, I guess one of the things too, cause like I said, while I grew up, um, well, I duck hunted when I was younger. I haven't done it in shoot twenty years or so. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been a minute, and I guess I don't remember how we went about uh, identifying, you know, calling out. Um, and I don't, I, I, I almost feel silly saying this based on having a podcast about conservation in the outdoors, but I don't even know what bag limits are uh, for certain birds and whatnot here in the state. So how are yeah. you, you know, identifying and calling out these birds to your customers or is it like, are you, do you have glass or is it just something that you've been doing this long enough? Like, you know, which, what birds look like based on maybe their flight pattern, uh, obviously their colors, uh, you know, kind of take me through that. Yeah. So, um, uh, a lot of practice for sure. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, different birds will fly different, like a, a wood duck flying and a mallard flying, you know, after a while, you can tell right away. Um, and then uh, as far as the bag limits and stuff, uh, even this year, Rhode Island just changed uh, that you can only get one hen uh, for sea ducks. Um, so that's another thing, kind of back to the conservation, uh, as far as the limits and stuff go, like... I'm in the hunting party, but I don't count myself as a limit. Um, this year, even though Rhode Island does allow one hen, um, them cutting it back that much is, is a clear sign that there's, you know, they're worried about the population. So kind of the rules of the boat is we're not going to be taking any hens. Um, and anyone that has ever done a trip has been fine with kind of like these, uh, Rules are a little more strict. Um, I count any lost bird uh, as a, towards the limit. Okay. So we'll have an issue, especially with the sea ducks. Um, with the seal populations kind of increasing, uh, once the seals start hearing the gunshots, they show up around the boat. And if you have a bird that's, you know, landed a little far away, that, that thing is gone. Mm. The seals will just come up and grab it. So, um it's it's a it's a little unfortunate, but it's not. I mean, you know, nature. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's kind of part of it um, with any right. type of hunting, right? There's going to be unfortunately uh, lost game. Um, mm-hmm. I think as a whole, uh, people probably are a bit more accepting of it with with birds, and I think it's just because they're a smaller species, right? Like. You know, when someone thinks right. about you know wounding an elk or a mule deer or a white-tailed deer, and, and you know you know, knowing that the deer probably died, but you couldn't recover it. I mean, I think just the bigger the animal, the more it kind of weighs on people, but it's, it's certainly, that's a good approach to take and kind of, I guess, setting your own, uh, kind of rules and regulations on top of, you know, what the state is already mandating, uh, for your customers and your clients. Right. Right. 
And again, a lot of that stuff uh, isn't always super hard and fast. Like if someone came to me and they're like, I really want a Drake and Hen pair of eiders for a mount, then it's like, well, yeah, the state allows you a hen. If you want to shoot a Drake and a hen, that's fine. Um, but unless someone has like a real specific reason why, um, it's uh, it's going to be one of those things where it, at least through the business, I'm going to cut back on that. Just like I tell everybody, we're here to have fun and, and uh, get some birds. We're not trying to eradicate a species by any means. Yeah. So kind of on the conservation note here, um, you know, one of the reasons or the reason that we were able to, to get introduced and we're able to, to talk about waterfowl hunting um, is big game waterfowl is 2% for conservation certified. So how was it that you, you know, first learned about 2%? Uh, I was actually listening to uh, another podcast and it had, you know, um, it had come up and uh, I was actually making some decoys uh, in the basement while I had it on. And, you know, I had, like I had mentioned, had these thoughts of the conserva- conservation and, you know, how to give back. And as soon as I heard that, it kind of like a light bulb went off. I was like, here's this awesome platform to do exactly what it is I wanted to do. Um, so as soon as basically the business was up and running, um, that was like one of the first things that, that I did was uh join two percent um and it's been good to like get the exposure to like like-minded people has been great um and uh it, it just makes it a lot easier to give back and you know kind of pay attention to what what i'm doing too you know yeah and that i love that about you know any company to me that's that's 2% for conservation certified is, has clearly, um, made the commitment to give back, you know, to both time and money to wildlife. But I think when I really appreciate it the most is when it is a company that is uh, that is a guide service, right? Because there's, there's no two ways about it, right? Like what you are doing, uh, you know, what the company is, is providing opportunities for other people to take from, to take from the land. And, you know, it, that's, I mean, that's what hunting is or fishing is, depending on, you know, if you're, you know, what kind of rules you're practicing with catch and release and whatnot. But I mean, that's what hunting is. There's, there's no reason to try to, you know, fancy it up or beat around the bush about it. I mean, that's, that's what hunting is. So the fact that, you know, these guide companies and yours in particular here that you, you understand what you're doing, you're under, you understand what people are paying you uh, to help them do. And you're, you know, in turn, taking that money and pumping it right back into, you know, species and organizations that are helping protect and helping to, you know, helping these species thrive, I think is just, uh, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's been really rewarding in that sense too. And even with the business and kind of the, the advertising, we were able to, uh, we're actually doing the Rhode Island DEM, uh, youth waterfall hunt coming up, um, and like being able to get involved with that and getting, getting kids, you know, into waterfowl hunting too. Um, it's like, not everything is always through 2%, but it's just with that mindset, it's, it's working for itself and yeah. it, it's doing what I wanted. Yeah. So what are some of the organizations that, uh, that you guys are giving back to? Um, so we, I actually, um, became very good friends with uh, one of the members from BHA for New England. Uh, so we, we work with them a bunch. Um, 
doing like raffles and stuff and auctions. Uh, Safari Club is another one that um, I've actually met like a lot of good friends through. Um, and, you know, just people that I never would have met otherwise. Um, so that was another one. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance uh, finally, you know, was able to, uh, they reached out and asked if we could donate a trip. And uh, so we were able to do that for the auction for them. Um, and those are those are kind of the big ones uh, that come to mind. I've done, uh, for the local chapter of Ducks Unlimited, a couple of years ago they were doing an auction. I, I donated a trip for them. Um, but a lot of it is, is that, is, you know, the, the trips for the auctions is really where, like, they get a lot of that money to do the work through the year. So for me, I'm more than happy to uh, offer up a couple trips um, to people, and especially with, like, different organizations, like with the, the Goat Alliance. Like, those guys can come out and, like, try waterfowl hunting out in the Northeast. So it's yeah, kind of like a really cool opportunity, and I, I'm sure they're excited, but uh, I might be more excited than they are about it just to – you know, have different people come in from, you know, a little bit, maybe different backgrounds. Yeah. And see kind of what their perspective on, you know, I guess kind of hunting is, you know, maybe they've had some experience, uh, doing some type of waterfowl, waterfowl hunting. Maybe they haven't. Where, where exactly are they coming from? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember. We had actually talked a while ago. They, they booked pretty early. Um, I want to say it was Michigan, but I could be very far off on that. Ah, see, I'm going to see like, as we're talking and I find myself doing this with all, with a lot of guests, right. Is okay. How far is Rhode Island? Do I need to drive there or do I need to fly there? Could I drive there? You know, do I have to cut through Canada? Can I loop around? Like what's, you know, what, what are my options here? Right. Like how can, how can I swing like a, a three day duck hunt, uh, up in Rhode Island? Because, you know, as I talk to people and you get to hear, uh, you know, what they're doing and what their experiences are, or maybe the, the experiences that they're helping people, uh, fulfill, like, you know, with, with duck hunting in the Northeast, they're like, I, I've, I've realized that I want to experience a whole lot more than what I have in Michigan here. And it's, you know, this is kind of a great avenue to, to kind of explore those and kind of talk them out in real time. Yeah, um, the nice thing about people that are traveling, especially if it's a distance, if they're flying, um, it's like we have one airport. Um, and on our the, the website, I have like a whole list of accommodations where they can stay. Uh, and the, the other thing, the boat uh, leaves out of uh, Warwick, which is right um, where the airport is. It, it's listed as Providence, but the airport's actually in Warwick. Okay. Um, so once they get here, it's not like a ton of driving. It's, you know, you, you don't have to fly in and then do like another three hour ride um, from the airport to the, the marina where the boat is, is 30 minutes. So oh, yeah, that's easy. Um, yeah. It's all, it's all the nice thing about being a small state is you can get, get around pretty quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So, so even if you're squeezing everyone into it, like if you got four guys, you know, you get a, get a truck you're not squeezing everyone in and going for a three-hour ride with all your gear you know it's it's hop in and you know 20 minute ride and you're you're off to the races yeah so jared what is i guess one piece of advice that you would give uh maybe uh kind of young aspiring uh waterfowl hunters or someone who's you know maybe later on in their life uh and they're 
you know, they just want something new to try and waterfowl seems like uh, something that would, they would be interested in. So what would you, what, I guess, what advice would you give someone who's, who's trying to kind of get into waterfowl hunting? Um, it's a good question. So what I would say, so like a big thing with waterfowl hunting is scouting, right? Like it, it's, especially so with any kind of game, really, um, you know, whitetail, you know, they leave sign and, and whatnot. But, uh, I, I feel a lot of the intimidation with waterfowl is people like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> so with that is, I mean, anyone that hunts usually enjoys the outdoors. It's, you know, just get out, you know, just go look at different places, um, with the, you know, advances as far as like e-scouting you know with uh on x and google maps and all that other stuff you can you know have a sit there at the computer at night for an hour and write down a list of places and then you know just get in the the truck and go check them out and and look um that's like the biggest thing with waterfall hunting. it's it's just knowing where to go where the stuff is everything else is kind of, you can fine tune, but you won't, all you have to do is kind of hide and put some decoys out, you know, it's, uh, and learn how to call it, it that too. Um, <laughs> but sometimes with calling, I would say sometimes less is more. Yeah. Um, you know, you had a lot of people that over call, um, sounds like me turkey. But that's all, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, and I, I feel like a lot of the intimidation is just not knowing where to go. It's, and if you spend some time just walking around a swamp or, you know, kayaking down, down a river, you know, you, you made like a, a, you can make a day of it too, you know, and it just get more comfortable with being out there. And the more you do it, the more, the less intimidating it is. It's more, you know, second nature. So that would be like my one, one part of advice is just try to, f- you know, just get outside and try to find some ducks. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that's a great place to start, uh, for, yeah, like you said, whether it's big game, waterfowl, upland, I mean, yeah, just knowing the habitat that these, um, you know, ducks want to be in, um, is certainly key to, uh, to locating a flock. Right. Right. So kind of before we let you go here, Jared, um, I think, you know, between being a firefighter, between running your own guide service, I'd say your time is uh, pretty valuable and you probably uh, don't have a ton of free time. But with that being said, do you have, have you been able to go on any trips yet this year or do you have any trips coming up that you're really excited about, uh, whether it's, you know, waterfowl hunting, big game hunting, whatever the case is? Yeah, um, the weather here actually has been pretty mild. So um, it's been a little unseasonably warm um but i had mentioned we have that youth uh waterfowl hunt through the state which i'm pretty excited about um and that's just for youth like no adults can hunt it's just for them i know uh, a lot of other states have similar programs um i was actually able to uh get a friend out um because i hunt rhode island and connecticut for early season and i was actually able to get my friend out and he got his first uh wood duck um, a couple weeks ago. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. Like having someone get like a new species for the first time and you can kind of see it in their face, you know, like how cool it is. And you get to like relive it yourself. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a cool exp- like sharing that those experiences is is one of the things that I love most about the outdoors in general. First fish, different species duck, first big game animal, seeing someone else with that joy and excitement like it's you can't put a price tag on it. Yeah, and the to be honest too um so on the, the trips that that I do a lot of people, you know, they're like, "Oh, why aren't you hunting?" and it's you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on that I'm paying attention to, especially with like being the captain on the boat and making sure everyone's safe and looking for birds. But more than that, I've come to almost enjoy it just as much, like getting people out there and getting them on birds, especially if it's a first time species or a first duck, um, where it's just as rewarding as if I was shooting and, and getting the birds myself. Yeah. So that that's something that, um, has really been great. And to be honest, I didn't expect it. I had, I kind of thought it was going to be, I didn't think it was going to have that much, that much of a rewarding experience, um, as it has been. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That reminds me, my dad, um, he, the later he kind of got in his life, uh, he was really big into, um, like t- he was big into walleye fishing. So we were fishing the, the great lakes for walleye. Uh, I mean, he was doing it, you know, pretty much every weekend from opening weekend through the fall, um, up on Lake Michigan. And he had gotten so comfortable with the the piece of water that he was fishing one of the bays there that, you know, he was like trying to recruit people to, to come fishing with him because he, he felt like he had such a good kind of working knowledge of, you know, the water system there that, you know, we'd be, you know, making a run, pulling planer boards or something. And he's, you know, you've got, and we only had like a, a 19 foot boat. So it wasn't real big, yeah. but, uh, you know, you're running planer boards out the sides, a couple flat lines out the back and, you know, he's watching his, watching his troll or, you know, watching this graph and he's like, put that outside one down another foot or put it down two feet, right? Like you start to see kind of the way he's looking at it. And then someone catches a fish, like, you know, my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time, you know, like having her out on the boat with us and like watching her catch fish, like he's. I, knowing how excited he got, I can just imagine like if people are actually paying you to do this, right. And how, how rewarding just that whole experience is. I mean, that's, that's cool. And it sounds like, you know, you're doing this for the absolutely, for the absolute right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, the thing with the hunting and fishing too, is, is almost twofold too, because, you know, they, they get this, the first thing, uh, the first species, whatever it is, and then, you know, every once in a while you get a text say, and they're like, hey, I tried that recipe you gave me. It came out awesome. My whole family loved it. And it just makes it that much better, too. Because, um, I mean, I, I won't shoot anything I'm not going to eat. And that's why I kind of got as much into hunting as I have is, you know, it's for the food. Yep. Um, and then, like, all this other stuff has turned out to be just these awesome bonuses on top of it. But it's uh, it's been really great. No, that's awesome. So where can people find Big Game Waterfowl and, uh, you know, learn more about uh, your guide service, you know, about uh, potentially booking a trip with you as well? Yeah, so uh, our webpage, uh, www.biggamewaterfowl.com. Um, we have some links on there with uh, the regulations for the state. Like I had mentioned, some uh, accommodations, uh, you know, kind of like the, the rules that we have uh, for going out on the boat. Um, and uh, there's a page on there. If you're interested in booking a trip, you can check that out. Uh, and as always, um, I have my contact info there as well. Uh, 
you know, anyone, anytime can give me a call and whether it's, uh, they need a recipe or some ideas, talk shop, or if they want to book a trip, uh, I'm happy to help anyway. No, that's awesome. Uh, well, Jared, thank you so much for your time today, man. It was, uh, it was great being able to talk waterfall and kind of hear about, uh, you know, your experience with the outdoors and, you know, becoming uh, a captain and a guide and, and all that stuff. It was, uh, it was really enjoyable. Thank you. Yep. I appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, we will talk to you soon and best of luck this season. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you again to Jerry for joining me today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, uh, Stone Glacier and Go Hunt, as well as Wild Rivers Coffee and 2% for Conservation. Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and help make it possible. Uh, And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where they're going to post only positive conservation-driven content in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. Uh, Stay tuned next week where we have another good one. Uh, Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you. 